Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Truth and Life Today and Dr. John Newfeld. And uh, just so you know, you can watch Truth and Life Today on uh, multiple mediums, including uh, Facebook, uh, iTunes, YouTube, and of course online at backtothebible.ca. But today we have a special uh, episode which we want to talk about an interesting, interesting uh, point of conversation that, that seems really relevant today. But first of all, welcome Dr. Newfeld. It's great to have you here today. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. So here's the issue, and uh, it's one word, universalism. And again, it's one of those things that I think need definition, but it's interesting, isn't it? It seems to have come up more and more and more in our culture and society today. And it will continue to come up more. I think yeah. we've only seen the beginning. I think we're gonna see just a cascade of the thing. So it's really important to talk about it. So give me a sense of a definition of what a universalist, in essence, might think. Well, we might say that there are two kinds. There's the non-Christian universalism and there's the Christian universalism. From The non-Christian universalism is that in the end, everyone is either saved or achieves uh, some kind of you know, grand enlightenment in the next world, but it's good for all of us. Okay. So it's, it's a universality of human salvation, whatever that means. Okay. Uh, from the Christian point of view, there are Christ so-called Christian universalists who will even argue that you can't get saved unless Christ dies for you. Mm -hmm. But then they'll say that people are saved whether they know it or not. So that Christ's salvation on the cross was universal so that in the end, everyone goes to heaven. Now, how do they get there? So uh, there are, again, a number of ways. For some Christian universalists, they actually believe in hell, but hell of a limited duration. So it's like paying off a debt. So you might have to serve for however long that is, and once your debt is paid for, you eventually make it to heaven. And, so, and then there are others that discount the idea entirely. But universalism means that in the end, it's well with everyone. Sometimes I have almost heard uh, Christian universalists speak in, in language that sounds like, you know, do you want to get there going first class or do you want to go in, you know, in the back of the plane, uh, you know, stuffed with all these other people all around you where the washroom's right beside you. It's a, a less enjoyable journey, yeah. but nonetheless, we're all going to the same destination. So it leaves, op it makes itself open to all religions. It makes itself open to all philosophies of life for complete tolerance for everything. Yeah, and to be fair to Christian universalists, some will argue that there are false philosophies, and you might completely drink them in, but that will not prevent you from going to heaven. Why do you think it's so prevalent or increasingly prevalent within our culture and society today? Um, I think uh, a couple of reasons. I mean, one is simply the nature of where we're all living. So we now live in this, you know, in this society in which people of vastly different religions, uh, ethnic backgrounds, social values all live next to each other. And we're beginning to recognize that people in the past that we might have deeply suspected as being less than human are in fact fully human and likable. Mm -hmm. And so we're beginning to find people that we deeply disagree with and yet we like. Yeah. And so I think it's a way to work all of this out. I mean, it's, it's this, this, this question that's to say, are you saying that somebody who lives with the kind of virtuous life that I see my non-Christian neighbor having, are you saying that you know, they don't get salvation. So I think it rises out of that, that, um, that, that part of, of us that simply wants to include. 
And we do live in a very uh, increasingly what we would like to think of as an inclusive society where we want to embrace everything and everyone. And I guess that breeds universalism. In some I think respect. it does. So I think we're speaking what's positive about universalism. And so it is a way of saying, I want to reach out to others. Yeah. Yeah. What's the risk of universalism? Maybe we should start with simply the teaching of Jesus. Okay. Um, yeah, we can start in a number of different vantage points. I always think it's helpful to say, was Jesus a universalist? And the answer clearly is that he was not. In fact, no Bible character speaks more about hell than our Lord and Savior. So the one that we say is the object of all love, and in fact, the example of love, well, I mean, let's, I mean we, could, we can read so many different texts in the Bible, and, and I've, I've brought a number of them along, but let's just read a couple of them. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Hmm. Um, so you have that kind of language over and over again. Um, so it will be at the end of the age from Matthew 13, 49 and 50. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them, that is the evil, into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, there's the parable of the, you know, the, the weeds and the, and the wheat. Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So there's always this separation out of two groups of people. One is burned in an unquenchable fire. And in fact, when Jesus speaks that way, he sometimes says, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Yeah. Now he's speaking about, yeah, there's a place in the Valley of Hinnom, which is right outside of Jerusalem, and it would be a garbage dump, and everything unclean was there. And the history of Israel was such that child sacrifice had been done in that very valley. So it was seen as this demonic place, and people were burning things constantly. And Jesus uses it in an image, because in this place of endless burning and uncleanness, yet worms lived in that place. Mm. And he wants to say that there is a place to come where life is never extinguished, but the burning never ends, and the torment never ends. So constantly Jesus is speaking that way. So no matter what you do with Jesus, if you leave him just the character that is presented in the Bible, he is clearly not a universalist. Yeah, yeah, there's that sense of permanence in what he's saying. Yes. Uh, yeah. So tell me then, somebody who's a Christian universalist, where would they go to the Bible to try and... Well, there are a number of passages that people like to point out. Okay. I mean, one comes from 1 Timothy where, where Paul says he is the savior of all men, especially those who believe. Yeah. So especially seems to fit with some universalists who say it's like we're going in first class on the airplane, especially those, but he's the savior of all men. Mm -hmm. The problem with using that text is that the text is not speaking about salvation from damnation. It's speaking about salvation in a generalized sense. God sends rain on the just and the unjust. He feeds all people everywhere. It's part of his saving element. He saves us from death on numerous occasions. So God is compassionate and gracious to all men and providing with numerous means in which they've escaped the worst of all possible scenarios in various contexts in their lives. It's not speaking about our eternal salvation. So how does it speak into the, our understanding of the gospel? You know, here's what I love to say, Ben. John 3.16, which almost every Christian knows. God so loved the world. Now, in the book of John, how does Jesus use the word world? Well, in 1 John, do not love the world for all that is in the world, the things of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. I mean, the way that the world is presented in the gospel of John 
is always the world that is in full rebellion to the ways of God. So God so loved this fully rebellious world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. What does perishing mean? Well, in John's gospel and in the rest of the gospels, perishing means going to hell. Yeah. God so loved a sinful, rebellious world that whoever believes in him or believes in Christ should not go to hell but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. Christ has come to save us from the misery of the judgment of God that awaits us. For God stands ready to judge the human race. See, Ben, I think the real issue here is the question of the justice of God. I think people are asking the question, is it just for God to send garden variety sinners who haven't done anything major? I mean, they've not committed a holocaust. Sure. I mean, they just once in a while use the Lord's name in vain and get mad and you know, commit adultery in their hearts and who knows what else we do that we do. They're just garden variety sinners. Is that bad enough for eternal suffering in hell? That's the question. And I think the answer has to be, it depends on who we think God is. If we think that God is very much like ourselves, then it clearly, hell is outrageous. Yeah. But if we think that there can be no greater crime that a human being can commit than against infinite holiness, then an eternal suffering in hell would not be sufficient to pay for that kind of a crime. See, we have to ask ourselves, who is God and what do we think that sin is? Yeah. You know, you did a, a wonderful series on the issue of heaven. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you've been threatening over the last number of months to do something specifically on hell. So why is that so critical? Why is the theology of hell so critical to us? I'm going to argue several things. When we begin to discount hell, we cut the cord or cut the nerve of Christian urgency in missions and evangelism. Okay. See, I think there are a number of Christians that have begun, they, they have gone through now almost a whole generation of being in church and never, never having heard a sermon on hell. And so that there are a great many Christians who are not alarmed over their own sin and they're not alarmed over the eternal loss of people that they live next to. I mean, they're not on their knees pleading with God for mercy to those whom they love. Yeah. I mean, we need to recognize that, Ben, you and I have done things worthy of hell all of our lives, and we should be there were it not for the mercy of Christ that is given to all those who believe. Yeah. And we need to look at those who do not believe and say, we have the only antidote for yeah. what troubles the human race. Yeah. And, and, we are, and we know that your, your soul is in peril. Yeah. And because we haven't had help you know, painted as a picture before us, the urgency is lost from our lives. And that's why evangelism isn't being done, and that's why we're not expending the effort that we should be in worldwide mission. Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, uh, it's a bit of an indictment maybe to the church in general in respect to what we say from the pulpit and what we don't, what we preach from the pulpit and what we don't. And when we talk about the gospel, we're very much... Uh, akin to talking about the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ. Uh, but the gospel isn't the gospel without hell. Is that true? It is exactly true. I'm going to say 
you can't paint these beautiful, brilliant colors that the gospel brings us. You talk about love and mercy and compassion, grace. I mean, all those wonderful Bible words that come with just a rainbow of beautiful, brilliant colors. Unless that is painted against the dark, black background of hell, it will never sparkle the way it's supposed to. Yeah. The background is supposed to be the great judgment that awaits the human race. There's a cataclysm awaiting us. And, and humanity in millions are tumbling over that catechism or, or that, 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 that cataclysm daily. And we need to ask ourselves, should our hearts be unmoved yeah. at the plight of the human race? Yeah. When God has given us a command by the Holy Spirit, preach the gospel. So what do you think is our reluctance? Why well, I we think one of, one of the reasons is it is an intellectual reluctance simply because we have not believed the gospel. That is, this wrath of God has not been made real to us, and so it doesn't seem like an urgency. But I think also, you can look at church history, and Ben, the only place where the Christian church has ever been persecuted, ever, is where it's doing evangelism. Whenever we do evangelism, we have an amazing backlash. I mean, you can look in the world today, and wherever the church is being persecuted the most, it's where it's most aggressively evangelistic. Hmm. So I am going to say that, and, and I'm going to say, you know, I think we all recognize it's uncomfortable to do this. Yeah. But I think the love of God has to compel us. Yeah. He who would send his own son is now sending us. Wow. This is a huge issue and we've talked about it before and obviously it's something that's on the hearts and minds of people. So thanks so much, John, for helping us with the whole concept of universalism, the urgency that we all need to speak the truth of God's Word and to see people's lives changed as a result. Thanks, John. We hope you're enjoying the new Truth in Life Today show with Dr. John Newfeld. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode each week. But we want you to be involved in the show. To submit your own personal questions to Dr. John, you can email us at info at backtothebible.ca or find us on Facebook by searching Truth in Life Today.